1: Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com.
2: Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. We'll be looking at John 17 as well as a wide variety of other different passages today. But we're going to start in John 17 verses 1 through 5. We're going to be continuing working through our series on our mission and our vision and the core convictions of Orland Park CRC, which we're calling Grounded in Christ and Growing in Christ. Last week we had a chance to take a look at our mission. Today we take a look at our vision, and that's going to come to us from John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. That the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. If you weren't with us last week, we had the chance to go over our church mission statement and to see how our church mission statement is drawn from, is drawn out of the scriptures. And we had the opportunity to see what we hope as a mission is something that comes directly from the scriptures in a wide variety of different places. For those of you who missed it, who were not here, our mission statement is this. The gospel of Jesus Christ compels us to worship, serve, and learn about God, and by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, to take that gospel to our community and the world. If you missed that sermon, you can grab a CD or a DVD in the back of the lobby on your way out, or you can go to our website or our Facebook page to check that out. That is what was kicking off this series that we are now a part of, Grounded in Christ, Growing in Christ. Today, what's going to take place, we're looking at our vision. A week from today, Lord willing, we'll have a Reformation Day service. Two weeks from today, Lord willing, we'll have Orphan Sunday. And three weeks from today, Lord willing, we'll come back to take a look at the six core convictions that we have we have as a church. But today is the day we're going to be talking about our vision. We're going to be talking about what we pray that the Lord will do in our midst. We're going to be talking about what we need to see as a church. And as as we start out, I just want to display our church vision statement. And here it is. If we could pull that up on the screen, and I will read that for us. We desire to lead people to know Jesus Christ as friend and Savior, Lord, and God. We desire to lead people to know Jesus Christ, to know Jesus Christ as friend, Savior, Lord, and God. This is our vision. This is our prayer. This is what we pray will happen in this congregation, in this sanctuary, in the life of this church. So let's take a look at that piece by piece. We're going to start with, we desire to lead people to know Jesus Christ. And I want to direct your attention to what we read at the very outset of our time together. I want to direct your attention to one verse in particular. John chapter 17, verse 3, where Jesus says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's verse 3. This is the verse of scripture that was the most quoted by Reformation hero John Kelvin. Bob Godfrey calls it John Kelvin's favorite Bible verse. It's his life verse. It's a verse that is eminently worth committing to memory. This, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The reason that we want people to know Jesus Christ is that in knowing Jesus Christ— is eternal life. Knowing Jesus leads us to live life to the fullest, and knowing Jesus means that we are able to live life everlasting. This gets at the heart of why this is what we need to see in our midst. Because knowing Jesus is the best way to live and the only way to die. And people need to know Jesus Christ. Do you know how easy it is to start focusing on something else instead of or alongside of Jesus? And a fundamental question that any church needs to ask is this. Why is it that we exist? What is the purpose for our meeting together? Why is it that churches should even be? And the answer is, is that we exist because Jesus Christ came over 2,000 years ago to Bethlehem. He was born there. And at 30, he began his earthly ministry. It was a ministry that was filled with opposition it ended, it ended with him being betrayed by one of his closest friends and then handed over to the Jewish, Jewish ruling and, and religious authorities who falsely accused him. And then they turned him over to the Roman governing authorities to put him to death. And he died and he subjected himself to death upon a cross. And then he rose again from the dead. This is why we exist as Christians. This is why we exist as a church and we exist in this because if you know him, if you know this one who died and was raised again on the third day, you have eternal life. You are saved from death because he defeated it. You you were saved from the devil because he defeated him. Church, people need to hear this. People need to know Jesus. One of my prayers for the congregation is that we would never become the sort of place where we forget about Jesus, or we minimize Jesus. One theological hero of mine, D.A. Carson, says that oftentimes what happens in congregations is this, is the first generation gets the gospel, and they come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, And the gospel is absolutely central to their identity and to the identity of the church of which they are a part. And then they raise children, and their children never had a time where they didn't know Jesus. And so they come to the place where they start to assume the gospel. They believe it. They believe it, but it becomes assumed, right? So it's not the first thing. It's not the central thing that's talked about. So we're like, well, we believe the gospel. That's something we all agree on. Let's focus especially on things outside of the gospel. And then what happens is the first generation gets the gospel. The second generation assumes the gospel. And then the third generation loses the gospel. The third generation being brought up in a context where Christ is not at the center, is not explicitly talked about in in everything that a church does and everything that a family does, that third generation then tends to lose the gospel. We need to know Jesus. People need to hear about Jesus. And I pray that we never, ever become a place where we simply assume that Jesus is at the center. I pray that we never become the sort of place where we assume truths about who Jesus is. Jesus Christ must be at the center of who we are and what it is that we do or else we become a Christless religious gathering or a social club or some other terrible thing. We must be about the business of knowing Jesus and making Jesus no.
1: Today's message on grounded and growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orlam Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself, and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible. To share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message.
2: This is the center of who we are. Knowing Jesus and making him known. So who is this Jesus? Well, we want for people to know Jesus as friend and savior and Lord and God. So let's walk through the scriptures and hear how it is that the scriptures draw this out for us, these truths about who Jesus is. We want people to know Jesus as friend, savior, Lord, and God. Let's take the first one first, friend. Friend, I'm going to direct our attention to John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. John 15, 12 to 17. I believe that we'll have the words come up on the screen for us right here. This, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is a striking passage. Here, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and by extension, he talks to each one of us that trusts in Jesus Christ. And he says that someone, his disciples are his friends, and that someone is his friend if they do what he commands. This means that you can be a friend of God. This means that you can be a friend of Jesus Christ. This might be a truth where we underestimate its importance. The creator of the universe wants to have a friendship with you. The creator of the universe, the word of God, wants to have a relationship with you, wants to have a friendship with you. I think that right now we live in a time of perhaps unprecedented loneliness, where a lot of people are uh, detached from other people because they are so absorbed in their own phones. Again, I, I remember talking to somebody who worked at Trinity Christian College, and she said that she had this spot in her office where she could look down and see the kids as they were walking from class to class between uh, break periods between classes. And she said, for most of my time at Trinity, I saw students come out of class and they would walk together and talk together and laugh together as they were walking from one place to another. She's like, within the last few years, I see them coming out one at a time, every person's head buried in their phone. And it's something that we probably know about because we know ourselves, right? Right? We spend a little bit of time away from our phone. We're like, oh, I wonder if somebody has, oh, I should not pay, I've got to pay attention to this conversation. But somebody might have. I heard from somebody this week. He said that, uh, in a different church, he said that his daughter makes her phone flash every time she gets a notification. He goes, it's flashing all day. And so every time she sets it down, it starts flashing again. And she'll like want to pick it up and take a look at it. And he goes, and in church, everyone around us starts looking at us every time the phone flashes. But it's a, mean by, it's a means by which we turn away from the people that we're actually with and look at a, a piece of glass for a period of time. And this, and this brings, I think, an unprecedented level of loneliness. And so this truth that Jesus Christ wants to be friends with you is amazing the fact that Jesus says, I want you to follow me, doesn't mean that you just follow him on Twitter. He's not talking about Twitter. He means actually follow after him. It means that you can actually know him, actually have a relationship with him, actually talk to him. This is an underestimated importance. This is a truth of underestimated importance. That God of the universe, Jesus Christ, wants to be friends with you. This is also extremely important, I think, for understanding our own self-worth. J.R.R. Tolkien in The Two Towers says, The praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. It's said by Faramir to Sam. The praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. That's true. And the fact that Jesus wants to be friends with us brings that home to us. The one who is the most praiseworthy in all of the universe, in fact, the only one in the entire universe truly deserving of praise, wants to be friends with you, wants to be friends with you. The one who is the most praiseworthy wants to speak words of kindness to you. The one who is the most praiseworthy in the whole universe wants to be able to speak to you of your worth as one created by him and redeemed by him and chosen by him. Jesus Christ wants to be friends with you. And that means that you can have a wonderful confidence because the most praiseworthy in the universe determined that he wants to be your friend. We want for people to know Jesus as friend. We want people to know Jesus as friends savior as well let's take a look at matthew chapter 1 verses 18 to 23 this is the christmas story we're told in matthew chapter 1 now the birth of jesus christ took place in this way when his mother mary had been betrothed to joseph before they came together she was found to be with child from the holy spirit and her husband joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame resolved to divorce her quietly All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's the portion of scripture. It's telling us that Jesus Christ came with a purpose. From the very moment when his birth was announced to Mary and to Joseph, the purpose was laid out. Jesus Christ is coming to save. He's coming to be a savior. He's coming to save people from their sins. Jesus is, of course, a friend to all those who follow after him. But if Jesus is just your friend, then you are in trouble. You need more than a friend. You need what Christ alone offers. You need salvation. You need salvation from sin. And this tells us that since Christ came with a purpose, that there was a great need our great sin and our misery. Do you recognize that in your own life? Do you recognize that as your own greatest need? When you sort of develop the calculus for what it is that you need in the course of your life, do you recognize chief among all I need is salvation from sin? And that means that even if none of the other stuff comes, even if you don't get the, the salary amount that you want, even if your family life is not as is not as peaceable as you would desire, even if you don't get to go on the the trips or vacations that you might want, even if you don't get the promotion you want, even if you are not able to accomplish that goal that you set many years ago, the chief thing that you need in your life, salvation from sins, is offered to you by Christ Jesus. And if you look to him and trust in him, then you have it. Total redemption from all of your sins. Christ's blood shed upon the cross, washing away all of your sin and impurity. Christ rising from the dead, defeating death for you. Your absolute greatest need, greatest need is found in Christ Jesus because he is savior from sin. And First Timothy makes this very clear. Paul, under the inspiration of, of the Holy Spirit, writing in 1 Timothy chapter 1, makes this very clear. Let's pull that up on the screen as well. First Timothy 1, 12 to 17. Here is what God's word says. Paul is speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit, and he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is a striking passage as well here because Paul relays his own need for salvation. He says, this is a trustworthy saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I am the worst. He doesn't say of whom I was the worst. Back when I was a church persecutor, back when I was insolent and ignorant, he says, Christ came to save sinners, and I need that because I am the worst of sinners. I, Paul, a missionary for the gospel. I, Paul, suffering for the sake of Christ. I, Paul, the one who has given up everything for the sake of Christ and his glorious gospel. I am the worst of sinners, he says. He knows his heart. He knows his great need to be redeemed. He knows he needs to know Christ Jesus as... Savior and You need a Savior too I need a Savior too Do you see 1st Timothy is such a beautiful passage because do, do, do you see the logic of the passage Do you see how he talks about how Alright listen I've got a trustworthy statement for you Jesus saves Let me tell you A trustworthy statement Jesus saves And he needs to save because I know my own heart Jesus saves And then he talks about how all who save, all who believe in him will have eternal life. And then this knowledge leads him to praise God. In verse 17, to the king of all ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. When you know that you need a savior, when you recognize your own need for sin and then recognize that Christ Jesus alone provides salvation, that leads to worship and praise to God alone. Be all, all honor and glory forever and ever, amen. You worship like that when you recognize that you need a Savior and that when you trust in Christ Jesus, you have a Savior. We need to know Christ Jesus as friend, as Savior, and as Lord. Here's what Romans chapter 10 says, verses 5 through 13. You know what, I'm going going to read just a portion of this. Starting at verse 9, I'm going to read. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It means that Jesus is king. It means that he is sovereign. He is the one that's able to determine how it is that we must live. Something that helped me to understand this is when I was in college, I was a part of Wheaton Christian Reformed Church, and there was a young man who was in high school who had started attending there. One of the youth leaders asked if I would mentor and disciple him. She said, he is somebody that wants Jesus as savior, but not yet Jesus as Lord. And I thought about that for a little bit, and I realized that what she meant is that this is somebody that wanted to have some sort of notion that sins were forgiven, but actually didn't yet want to follow after Jesus in obedience and love. This is a temptation that might come to us. We think, you know what? I want that fire insurance. I want that salvation. But following after Jesus, having him dictate my life, having him be king, having him be Lord, having him be ruler, now that is a bridge too far. But you and I need Jesus as Lord. We need Jesus as King. We need Jesus as ruler. We need Jesus to determine... What it is that that is right and what it is that is wrong We need Jesus to determine how it is that we must live This is one of the hard parts, frankly, of Christianity This is one of the hard parts that, That when you come to Jesus Christ And when you receive him as Savior You must also receive him as Lord You lay down your own desires and you say Jesus, let your will be accomplished And not my will be accomplished Let your will be done and not my will This is hard because, of all of us, because all of us, oftentimes, we want our own way, right? And sometimes Jesus does not want that way for us. Martin Luther says that scripture sometimes comes to us as our adversary, and Luther is right. Sometimes when we read scriptures, we read some things that we are called to do that we simply don't want to do. But guess what? You're not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Russell Moore the head of the, the SBC's Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, Russell Moore says, if you read the Bible and it never offends you, then one of two things is true. Either one, you are Jesus and without sin, or two, you're reading it wrong. Because Jesus is Lord. And that means that the little kingdoms that we try to make for ourselves, they, got, they all have to bow before Jesus.